Let us read from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. The majority of this text describes the glory of the new heavens and earth, but the last portion of it does speak the truth to us regarding the fate of those who die in their sins. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. I'd like to talk briefly about what we have learned concerning the topic of sin. It was way back in Baptist Catechism questions 16 rather through 22 that we first learned about sin. There in that section, we learned about the first sin of Adam and Eve and the consequences of that sin for all of humanity. So that is a very important section of our catechism, questions 16 through 22, for there the topic of sin is addressed historically. There we learned about how sin came into the world through our first parents and how sin and its consequences spread to all mankind. But it was in question 17 that we found a most helpful definition of sin. Question 17 asks, what is sin? And the answer given is, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. If you remember, want means lack or failure. So we sin whenever we fail to do what God has commanded, and we sin when we do what God has forbidden. Theologians have called these two ways of sinning sins of omission and sins of commission. We sin when we omit, that is, fail to do, what God requires of us, and we sin when we commit, that is, do, what God has forbidden in His law. So we commit sins of omission and commission, both. Perhaps you have heard sin described as missing the mark. Has anyone heard of sin described that way? I wonder if you could picture an archer with a bow and arrow in his hand. He draws the bow, aims at the target, lets the arrow fly. If he hits the bullseye, then all is well. But if he misses the bullseye, then we might say that he has sinned. 
The archer has sinned. The archer has missed the mark. And what is the mark which God has set for the human race? What is the mark? What is the target that God has set for the human race? We must say that it is conformity to the moral law. We must do what the law requires of us. We must avoid what the law forbids. We must also keep whatever other positive laws God determines to to impose upon us. And where is this moral law summarized for us? We have learned, uh, with the help of our catechism, the moral law is summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. And so we studied the Ten Commandments for a long time, didn't we? We learned what they say. We learned what they require of us. We learn what they forbid. And so, if I were to ask you, now that we have studied the Ten Commandments in this way, did your, if I were to ask you the question, did your confidence grow or diminish in regard to your ability to hit the bullseye of God's revealed will? Um, I didn't state that well, so I'll try it again. Now that we have studied the Ten Commandments in this way thoroughly for quite a long time, has your confidence grown or has it decreased or diminished in regard to your ability to hit the bullseye of God's revealed will. And my hope is this, that you would say, actually my confidence has diminished, it has decreased. I think that many do hear the Ten Commandments and their initial response might be, well, I've kept that law. I I haven't committed those sins. In fact, I am upright then before God, but a true understanding of the Ten Commandments, what they require of us, what they forbid of us, should cause all of us to say, no, we have violated this law in thought, word, and deed. In other words, we are all sinners. We, we, We have sinned so much in the past, in thought, word, and deed. And in fact, even as Christians, even as those renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue to struggle with sin. Our nature has been changed. We no longer have that sin nature. We have been renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerated, thanks be to God. But corruptions remain in us so that we continue to, to struggle with, with sin. I hope that our study of the Ten Commandments has convinced you all the more so that you are a sinner. Um, that you are a sinner in need of, of, God's, of God's marvelous grace. You will notice that the catechism has now returned to the topic of sin. It was introduced to us, first of all, in questions 16 through 22, as I've just said, but we come back now to the topic of sin. I, I think the perspective here is not so much historical, how sin came into the world and how it spread throughout the whole human race, but it's more theological now. Question 87 asked, Is any man able to keep um, perfectly the commandments of God? Answer, No mere man since the fall is able to in this life perfectly keep the commandments of God, but daily break them in thought, word, or deed. We considered that a couple of Sundays ago. In other words, we all sin. Again, yes, even Christians who have been renewed by the Spirit, who love God and love His law, we still sin. Corruptions remain. In question 88, we found a helpful clarification are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? There we learn that some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others. That was a very helpful clarification. Um, some sins are worse than others. And God sees that. And we do believe that the punishment will fit the, the sin or the, the crime, to use that popular language, at the, at the end of time, at the day of judgment. Now, in question 89, we find 
a difficult but very important truth. Again, the question is this, what does every sin deserve? Every sin, what does it deserve? And the answer that we have recited together is that every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in that which is to come. This is a very hard truth to swallow. I think you would agree with me. Not many within our culture today have an appetite for this truth. They won't put up with it. And sadly, even within the church, this truth here is often neglected. But it is so very important that this truth be proclaimed. I hope that you would agree with that. This truth must be proclaimed. In fact, the Christian religion crumbles without this doctrine. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not make any sense at all apart from this doctrine that every sin deserves God's wrath and curse both in this life and that and in that which is to come. What did Christ come to save us from except this reality? The reality that because we are sinners we deserve God's wrath and curse now and for all eternity. Some men love to talk about the love of God, His mercy and grace, and the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. I love to talk about these things too. We should all love to talk about these things. But some men do refuse to speak of His wrath and curse. They will speak of Jesus, the loving Savior, and of His virtuous life, and how He should be imitated in His virtuous life. But they will refuse to speak of Jesus as judge, Did you know that Jesus is not only Savior, but God will judge all people at the end of time through Christ? So He is both Savior and judge, according to the Scriptures. And so please hear me. There is no sense in speaking of God's love, mercy, and grace, nor of Christ the Savior, unless we are also willing to speak of sin and of its just penalty. For that is the very thing that Jesus came to save us from. He came to fix this problem that we are now considering. Jesus did not come to merely be for us an example of love, an example of virtue, an example of morality. No, He came to fix this problem that we are now talking about. He came to save us from this dilemma, the fact that because we are sinners, we stand guilty before God and deserve His judgment. To use Paul's language from Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see that that Christ came to be the solution to that problem of, of sin and of our guilt before God? A little bit later he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. So, so the problem is sin and its penalty, namely death, and Christ came to be the solution to that. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, please believe me, so many who claim to have faith in Jesus do not believe in this. They love Jesus because He was a good man. They love Jesus because He was all about love, they say. They love Jesus because He was a moral example for us to follow, but they will refuse to confess what has just been said, that Christ came to atone for sin, and thus to save us from the wrath of God that is due to us for our sin. So this truth that we have all sinned, and that every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in the life to come, is essential. 
The good news of Jesus Christ could only be understood against this backdrop of bad news. And yet men and women, yes, even Christians and ministers of the gospel, will make every effort to suppress this and dismiss this unpleasant truth that at some point we have to ask the question, are they truly Christians then? And are they really ministers of the gospel if they wish to avoid this truth altogether? I'll be honest with you though, and it is because I love you that I say this, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. And even if it is true that you have not committed so-called heinous sins, we must say that every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and in that which is to come. And if you are not in Christ, if you do not have faith in Him, if He is not your Lord and Savior, you do stand guilty before God now. And if you die apart from Christ, you will stand guilty before God on the day of judgment. And then it will be too late for you. You will be judged by Christ, not saved by Him, but judged by Him, and punished by Him for all eternity. But God is loving, gracious, and kind. And we do love to talk about that fact. He is loving, gracious, and kind. He has provided a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. You must run to Him for refuge. You must believe in Him for the forgiveness of sins. By the way, that is where our catechism is quickly going to the gospel. The law is proclaimed. The law is considered. The gospel is coming. It's just around the corner. We will consider it shortly. That Revelation 21 passage that I read at the beginning of the sermon I think is very beautiful. You can't help but long for the things that are described there in that Revelation 21 passage. It's John's vision of the new heavens and earth. Again, then I saw the new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city um, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a beautiful text there about the dwelling place of God, being with man, how God will dwell with us and we with Him, how we will be His people and He will be our God. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And in fact, in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no more crying. The former things passed away. The new things have come. Death is no more. What a wonderful picture this is. And here God does promise to give those who thirst drink and without payment. It's not something we'll have to pay for, but God will richly provide it for us because everything has been richly provided for us in Christ Jesus. But do not forget the conclusion to that wonderful and beautiful and encouraging text But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We must proclaim that too. We must proclaim that as well. Both the bad news of our sin and misery and the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ must be proclaimed. The one does not make sense without the other, friends, and I hope that you would agree with that. As we move now towards a conclusion, I'd like to walk you through Baptist Catechism 89 very, very quickly. What does every sin deserve? Answer, every sin. Notice the word every. Every sin. Not only heinous sins, but every sin deserves what is described here. In fact, the justice of God demands that all sins be punished. If God were simply to pardon sins, He would not be just. So, God's wrath and curse must be poured out against all sin. 
And please hear me, brothers and sisters. Here is the beauty of the gospel. God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. For God has punished all of our sins in Him. Our sins have been paid for by Christ. God's wrath and curse have been poured out on them, just not on us. Christ bore them and took our place. So God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Christ is the substitute for those who believe in Him. And then our catechism concludes with these words, both in this life and in that which is to come. So, apart from Christ, men and women live in this life under God's wrath and curse, and will continue in that state for all eternity unless they repent and believe upon the Savior. That is the message. So will you be found in Jesus and thus enter into life everlasting? That is a question that we must all ask ourselves. Will we be found in Jesus and thus enter into life everlasting? Turn from your sins, friends, and turn to Christ. Believe upon Him and be found in Him, covered by His righteousness. He has atoned for your sins But we must believe upon Him to have life everlasting and the forgiveness of sins. And will you be faithful, brothers and sisters who are in Christ, to urge others to be found in Him until Christ comes or calls you home? This is our mission, to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim this truth of the gospel, to give a reason for the hope that is in us, etc. This is what we are to be about. So will you be faithful to urge others to be found in Him? Don't wait. Let us be more bold than we are presently with the gospel. Let us Speak to those we love, those we have contact with, and say, be found in Christ. There's nothing more important than this in this life. Be found in Christ. Serve Him. Have Him as Lord. Obey Him. Believe upon Him in the heart. There's so much on the line, brothers and sisters. And so let us be found faithful, both in our personal faith in Christ and in our proclamation of the gospel, that through faith in Christ there is the forgiveness of sins. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the good news that is found in your word. We also thank you for the bad news, for it is necessary. Father, help us to not run away from the unpleasant truths of Scripture, but to to study them and to believe them in the heart, for we know that they are essential truths. God, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you provided a Savior. And I do pray, O Lord, that you would help us to abide in Him, to grow in our love and appreciation for Him. May our faith grow strong. And may we be found faithful to proclaim Christ crucified and risen until Christ returns or until you call us home. It's in His name that we pray and all of God's people say, Amen.